Hi, and Happy New Year from everyone here at the Big DK Energy Podcast. Of course, this episode is probably going to be aired a little later in the month, but this is the first episode that we're recording in the new year. So everybody, welcome to 2022. Everyone who tuned in during the end of 2021 when we started, I just want to say thank you for tuning in and supporting every single view and every single like or share or subscribe means everything to me. And to start that off, we have today's guest, which is actually a buddy of mine since the beginning of my college career, who is really quite a devoted individual. So when he's not doing stuff necessary to prep for the Navy, since he is going for officer school, he is a world traveler and even has his own videography company called EKM Productions, in which they kind of give you a little uh, look about what goes on in their travels. And so we have him coming on the show to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about our favorite sport, which is the lovely sport of hockey. So without further ado, please welcome today's guest, Mr. Edward Mayberry. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be here, actually. Of course, Eddie. I'm glad that I ran into you. And so immediately I thought about what you've been doing travel-wise. I'm thinking, I think this would be pretty cool to talk about on the podcast. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. The travel part of the Instagram page is actually a lot of fun. It's uh, something that I kind of just started putting together in the middle of med school, actually. And I wish I had done it earlier. I wish I had found that hobby back in high school. But hey, we got to make do with the time we have left and so that's what I'm doing with it. So it is currently 2022. How long ago was uh, med school for you? I started in August of 2019 so I'm in year three out of four right now. And then after that you're gonna go straight into the Navy? Yeah okay. Uh, I'll do a transitional rotation year where I just go through a bunch of different specialties and then I'll start my active duty time for four years and it really depends on what the Navy needs, uh, where I want to go and preferences so there's a lot still up in the air as far as that goes. Awesome. And what is your goal in the Navy? Is it to, for example, become a SEAL or is it to do other stuff? Oh, I, I don't know about being a SEAL. That's a little bit uh, hardcore for me, actually. My dad, he was in the Navy and he was a flight surgeon. So I don't necessarily want to do everything exactly the way that he did it back in like the 80s and early 90s, but I am considering what he did. But I also want to chart my own path and see what general medical officer tours are like, maybe even dive medicine. So uh, there's a lot to consider going into the future. Did you say dive medicine? Yeah, dive medicine is one of the things that is available depending on what I want to do. A lot of those uh, physicians, they focus on the underwater operations that a lot of the Navy and Marines and even SEALs do because there's a lot to go into it, actually. Do they like know a lot about the bends and all that kind of stuff? definitely. It's one of the big things they keep track of. And the gear that they have is just out of this world. And the preparation that they go into, not just with the medical team, but the engineering team and the CEOs. And it's really amazing. Like they have those like big decompression tanks, right? That you kind of have to sit in for like, I don't know, four hours or something like that? I don't know off the top of my head. I think it depends on how severe your case of the bends is if you happen to unfortunately run into that issue. But it's a serious thing. If it gets bad enough, it it can turn fatal really fast. Especially if you fly that day. Yeah, that too. It's amazing. The more that I learn while I'm in school, the more terrified I am of the world around me, of just how easily things can kill you. But on the flip side of that, it's interesting to learn how resilient the human body is and how much like it can deal with, how much trauma it can deal with and still function after a recovery period. So The adaptability nice. of humans is the reason why our species has lasted this long. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really looked at what we had to deal with back in prehistoric times, we were easily bottom of the food chain, but it's been our brain and our ability to adapt. That's the reason why we're able to podcast here right now. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. Thank you to your dad for serving. My father was in the army, so I understand about having military father and Mm -hmm. um did you ever have to move around a lot when you were younger we did but 
I was fortunate because we stopped moving right around I was five. So, oh, you're lucky. Yeah, I wasn't exactly the full military brat that people know. And yeah, I, I was lucky. I was fortunate. My sister and I, we settled in Jacksonville in the year 2000. And from that point on, my dad was in the reserves. So Okay, yeah. nice. Yeah, I actually was born in California. I don't know if it's their national training base anymore, but it's Fort Irwin. The nearest town is Barstow, California. So it's way out there. But then I moved to Korea, lived there for a little bit. And then um, I moved to Arizona. That whole military brat story but um mm-hmm. yeah you joined the navy and so when you were talking about things that were terrifying you so i have this thing called the lassophobia which if you don't know what that is it is the fear of the ocean really? and um that's like that severe fear of the ocean for example you've seen finding nemo right yes so remember when nemo first encounters the diver and it's a really shallow ground but then it immediately drops off into the deep that's the kind of stuff that scares me so it's not so much like, oh, I'm, I'm scared of a shark coming and getting me. It's more so like you're treading water in like a dark area and you're looking down and you just have no clue what's there. Yeah, it's either nothing can come up or like a blue whale could come up. It's not on purpose, it's going to eat you, mm-hmm. but you're going to be in the vast amount of water that it takes in in order to get the krill. Yeah, after seeing Finding Nemo when I was younger, that that was a big fear of mine, getting swallowed up by a whale, like the way that... Uh, also, Pinocchio. Pinocchio, that movie, when you look back on it as an adult, you cringe at the stuff that they put in those movies they back in They got away with days. a lot. Oh my goodness. I guess it's the way it was back then, but I mean, it's just... The part that scared me the most was when the boys were drinking and they turned into donkeys yeah. and then the guy turned into that, he had that face that like scared everyone. He's just like, they're just boys, sell them. And being trapped and and not being able to say, hey, like I'm a boy, don't sell me when they changed and they were helpless. Oh my God. It's traumatizing. It worked. I, I didn't want any, anything to do with drinking or, or smoking cigars for a long, I mean, I didn't have the urge anyway, but when I watched it as an eight year old, but still it did its job at scaring kids away from that stuff. It's better than dare. Uh, uh, dare the one against drugs is that the one where they brought people into schools and put the pink lungs and the black lungs up next to each other and showed what they looked like being inflated i think that's something else but it's kind of long it's along those same things it's just like don't do drugs otherwise this is what your brain will look like they had this famous commercial it showed an egg and it says this is your brain and then they cracked it and then put it on a frying pan and they go this is your brain on drugs <laughs> I mean, that's a little much. I guess they're trying to be like, oh, your brain gets cooked when you do drugs. And Places are taking away drug tests. It kind of shows that we lost the war on drugs. Yeah, the war on drugs is a lot more complicated than just a simple war on drugs. Like, there's so many other complicated factors in that goes into it. And the whole idea of let me drug test my employees, I think it really depends on the industry that we're talking about here. I don't want the person running the forklift in the middle of downtown Orlando lifting tons and tons of metal over driving cars to be hot. I feel like that's a fair thing. But at the same time, to have parents being kicked out of their jobs and suddenly jobless and unable to provide for their kids because their dad does a little bit of pot is also a little bit extreme. Exactly. The war on drugs, it's really international. And speaking of international, you have a traveling video production company. Yes, definitely. (laughs) You're good at bringing it right back. Of course, man. So tell us, what are some of your favorite trips? Or you told me that you got this started in high school, right? Like my first real trip was after I finished at UCF and we went to Europe. And oh, nice. How long was the trip? For? That was a month long, actually. That Eek. was probably my favorite trip out of everything that I've done. Was it backpacking? Yeah. We uh, we stayed in hostels most of the time, and it was with a bunch of my close friends. Jacob, I think you you, you met Jacob and Zach before, uh, those two I know, guys. I know Zach. Yeah, Zach was there on the trip with us. He's a fellow member of the tribe. Yeah. Actually, it was kind of his idea to get us going. We were just going to go for Oktoberfest, and then it just blew up into a huge trip, actually. So our other two friends, Annie and Kelsey, also were there with us, but that's how it 
it all started. It was like, if I don't spend a month in Europe now, when am I ever going to do it? I'm going to start school and I'm never going to get a month off just to do what I want ever again in my life, I don't think. Not until I'm 65. So I'm really glad we ended up going and doing it. But what inspired the Instagram account was really me being in med school and just needing something to escape because I would sit at the same desk chair for 12 hours a day going through flashcards and slides and learning a bunch of cool stuff. But I mean, it just takes a lot out of you if you don't have some kind of escape. And anybody that's been in college and has been in tough classes understands what that's like. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you have to learn all 14 um, muscles that are in your forearm or something like that. I don't know. I was a digital media major, not a doctor. Still though, forearm muscles are no joke. So if you're going to pick a muscle group, that's the muscle group to pick because right, they're really? all, they're really skinny and they look just like the one that's next to each other. That part of, we did an MSK class and that part was definitely a part that I struggled with even up until the test day, hmm. identifying all of those muscles. So that's keen. It's keen that you pointed that one out. Interesting. Yeah, that was just the first one that I thought of, but it was your escape. And yeah. how many countries did you go to during this trip? During that trip, we went to, oh, I believe, seven countries. Uh, we started in the UK, in London. Then we went to Germany for Oktoberfest. And then Prague, Czech Republic, so that's three countries. Hungary, we went to Austria. Well, Austria and then Hungary, so that's five. And then I went back to Germany and then ended my trip in Paris. So I guess technically six countries, if I'm counting correctly. Seven places? That's still not bad. Did you go through like EF or did you fully plan out the entire trip by scratch? Uh, from scratch. So we took turns figuring out who was going to like run what part of the trip because doing a whole month planning it on your own is just insane. But for the Oktoberfest part, I think that was Jacob and Zach took over that part. My part was Ireland. So I was really excited for that one. We got oh. a rental car. Oh, you, wait, you went to Ireland as well? Uh, yes, I, I forgot to mention Ireland. There it is. There's a seventh country. I knew it was seven. And... That part was cool because it was the only country that we rented a car for. And I highly recommend renting a car if you ever do go to Ireland because seeing all the sights is cool, but just driving through just the green countryside of Ireland and just seeing all the old ancient buildings that have been there for way longer than we've been there. It's really nice to see. It's relaxing. Yeah. I bet. I've always seen pictures and I definitely want to check out Dublin, go visit Temple Bar. I also want to see the Giant's Causeway, I believe it's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't do that. That was on the list that we were really considering doing that. Got it. And then there's yeah. also the Cliffs of Moore, I believe it's what yeah. it's called. Mm -hmm. We did that. That was, that was amazing. Probably one of the highlights of the trip for sure. And when we got back from the whole trip overall, uh, I had all this footage and I made my first real travel video of the whole thing and I had a blast doing it because now I was motivated because I wanted to be able to randomly at any time in the future, if I had a Wi-Fi signal, pull out the video and relive that trip whenever I wanted to. If I had 10 minutes to kill, and I wanted to just relive that part of the trip, I could do it. And then what made the Instagram account come to life was my idea of, you know what, like I kind of want to expand on this and I want other people to give me their footage of their trips because I want others to be able to look back at any time and relive the trips that they've been on themselves. Because taking videos is, is, is great, going on trips is great, but since I've started this thing, I've only done a couple of projects solely for other people that I was not in. And that, like seeing the looks on their faces when I like show them the finished product is just so satisfying. And it drives me to just improve my editing skills and improve my ideas and stuff. So that's really what I want this to turn into. A lot of the footage on there is me and a lot of it is from that Europe trip because there's just so much there. But I'd like it to change. I'd like it to evolve to others because I don't want it to be just all about me because I can put that on my own Instagram account and that's a little bit redundant. Got it. So you want to be a travel 
video agency. Okay, I don't think I've ever heard of something like that before because <laughs> everyone's heard of video agencies and travel agencies, but I never heard of anything specifically for travel. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you're right, editing is a true skill, which by the way, that is a great skill to know nowadays. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's kind of what I not used, quote unquote, my fraternity for, but I realized that I was a digital media major and that I wanted to get into that kind of field that you're talking about. So I made our first rush video. Mm-hmm. So it's just about taking the initiative and then just compiling everything together to show that, no, this isn't just some hobby. This I'm being for real about this. Yeah. You can tell there's a difference between somebody just doing the job and somebody that is like thwarting themselves and their whole creativity and their being into it because they're it's the passion of theirs. And I'm sure the fraternity appreciated it. I know I didn't see more a lot of what you did for the fraternity, but I saw everything you did for Nython and that was incredible. The skills that you provided in Nython helped people that participated and people like me relive that moment when I couldn't record it for myself because I was busy doing my own thing. Much like what you're doing for everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice to see that. It's heartwarming. Mm-hmm. It's satisfying, gratifying, and all the above. So um, one way that Eddie and I have known each other is that besides one of being the first people that I met at UCF just in general, we participated in what is called Nightthon. It is, I don't know if it's still UCF's largest uh, student-run philanthropy, but back in our day it was, and we were both in the exec board. And so it was to raise money for the, okay, I'm going to butcher this, the Arnold Palmer Hospital for Children and Winnie Palmer Hospital for Women and Children, I believe is what it's called. Yeah, you nailed it. Okay, it's just that I can't say it really fast, otherwise it's going to be garbled. Mm -hmm. But we actually had a previous guest who was with us on the exec board, Miss Ashley Edwards. And I believe it was our final year that we raised the most money. I believe so. Yeah, actually, that's right. 1.6 million? Uh, 1.58... Four, I think, but who's counting? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whatever. It's over a million dollars and we did a fantastic job. Being a parent for some of those miracle kids, you have to, I guess, like take everything with a grain of salt because you're in a very unique, very particular like scenario, like situation with your kids because it's almost like you sacrifice a lot of your own privacy to help advocate for other parents and other families. You know, what? that's actually pretty there. That's a very good way of looking at it. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the trade-off for being a celebrity. I mean, not that I've ever been one, but it's like, sure, you know, everyone knows about everything that you're doing, but at the same time, you really have no privacy. It's kind of like Kanye West went out for the morning, you know, paparazzi was like, "Good morning, Kanye," and he was like, "Shut the f up." Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like everybody at some point wishes they were famous, wishes they had high influence over the whole world, over America, and lived the lush life of fame and best part about tiktok is you can just do that for one video you could you very much so could i've been tempted i've been so tempted to make a tiktok account for this but i've resisted the urge so far honestly you should because that's actually where a lot of the reach is because the thing is that as long as your feed isn't all people dancing or doing the crappy dances like you will find other travel related content that maybe you can learn from that maybe you could eventually network through and then they can see your stuff and be like huh eddie this stuff looks really good careful you might be convincing me what i'm nervous about is i already have so many things that distract me and it is very hard especially on tiktok to get lost into that literal stream that turns Mm -hmm. into a waterfall that turns into the ocean but one quote that kind of keeps me in line is that in order for me to be a good producer I have to produce more content than I consume. And so when I'm editing, I'm always thinking, okay, I can't get distracted because the more content that I put out now, the more I get to enjoy in the future when I'm rolling in the Benjamins. Yeah, fair. I've never heard that before, but that's a good policy to have. Producing content, it takes so much hours, and I know you already know this, hours and days and sometimes even weeks to produce minutes or just seconds of a finished product. And if you scroll through and you equivocate, okay, like, For every 10 second video I watch, I gotta work for two whole days. Sounds a little bit daunting. 
oh, it's horrible. And especially if you want to go into freelance and you need to put those hours in, not only of you shoot shooting, but then editing and mm-hmm. then putting the final product together. It seems like, you know, four hours of shooting can turn into 12 hours of editing and it's a whole headache. But I'm so glad that you still push through all of that just to make sure that these travel videos are top notch because I've actually seen a few of them and I love them, especially nice. the one where you go to Normandy Beach. Yeah, that's right. Well, also growing up, I was a huge historian of World War II. So, you know, just seeing that um, actually my uncle was on Utah Beach on D-Day plus three. And uh, when he went to go back, you know, right before he passed away, unfortunately, because he knew of me learning about it so much that he actually brought me back a sand from Normandy Beach. That is really cool. Yeah, I still have it in my house. I'm never letting that go. In fact, my cousin actually one time sat down with him and listed out his entire war memoir. So unfortunately, due to all of my family, members being Jewish when they served in the armed forces they experienced a lot of anti-semitism mm-hmm. however what was a cool fact that about my uncle besides being on D-Day plus three was that at one point he ran a POW camp filled with Germans oh no way yep I mean I don't know how that would be for him but that must have been some kind of experience I couldn't imagine I just remember reading from the thing that it said that they all called him the little Jew which it's ironic that the Jew runs the camp filled with Germans yeah that's the that's sweet justice for him it's pre justice so thank you for your service uncle sonny mm-hmm. yeah thank you uncle sonny he's a brave man i feel like the individuals that served back in those days were so brave they endured things that without question that people of the same age today i feel like would just complain and go through any means possible to not do what they did on a bigger scale i feel like just Things were different back then. Tough individuals. My grandpa, same side of the family, but um, he actually fought in the Pacific and he received the Purple Heart because he got shot in the knee by a Jap. Wow. So yeah, you're right about this generation. Well, good thing we don't have to live in a generation where people have to get shot. Thank goodness. Well, most of us at least, because I know that there's still like some crime yeah, around. But there still. is. There is. And I feel like the. I hope there is not another world war. I hope not. If there is, though, I just I don't see it happening the way that it did in World War II with the beaches of Normandy, boots on the ground, just people running up a hill against a machine gun. I don't see that happening. Everyone knows about MAD. Mutually assured destruction. Granted, Russia and China, they might not like us, like us, but then again, at the same time, they know that if we all have nuclear war, all three nations would be completely obliterated and the world would just crumble out from underneath. And then mm-hmm. radiation will last into the future, and then Mad Max will happen, and then we don't know what happens after. No, I don't think either one of us would be around to see it either way. I hope we're not here to see that. That'd be really scary, especially if we have to, I don't know, max out our cars with like full plated armor with machine guns just to go to Publix. It sounds cool in theory, but oh my gosh, day three or four in of living that life, I'd be over it. Especially if people like wanted to make marauder bands just to take advantage of the situations. They would. It would happen. There'd be uh, those that would thrive in those kinds of environments and it wouldn't be me. I don't know about you. but Exactly. I mean, maybe um, once you get some more military training under your belt, maybe you'll be able to at least fight them off and be able to survive out on your own. But besides Normandy, what's another place that you like truly enjoyed being during that trip? So I love being at Oktoberfest, but not for the reasons why you think. Drinking was fun, obviously, and getting dressed up was okay. fun. Okay, so I have a weird question. Is Oktoberfest in October? Most of the time, no, actually. It's not. I think maybe of the three or four weeks that it spans, one week is actually in October. It's very strange that mm-hmm. it works out like that. But it's amazing when you look around. Actually, it's kind of a longer story, so maybe uh, I'll tell just the first little tidbit. My favorite part was when we sat down and we were talking to people from other countries. And there was one girl that I remember talking to. She was born in Yugoslavia. 
That's what it was called at the time yep. when she was born. And her parents grew up in the era where everything with America and capitalism was bad. Similarly to how our parents grew up in that era where everything with... Damn commies. Yeah, everything with the communists was bad. Everything with the Soviet Union was bad. And then she talks about what happened when she actually got older and she was an adult and she started traveling herself around Europe, like at Oktoberfest when we were there, and she met Americans. and She met people like me and my friends. How it's not just a simple, like, capitalism's bad, communism's bad. People are people and they need things regardless of what kind of country they're in and she realized that people that are from america aren't always evil trying to money grab and capitalism isn't always evil similarly to how meeting people like her that grew up in a communist country she's not evil and we were just talking and enjoying a drink together it's their government that's evil well yeah see that's a different story it's the individuals that make up what a country is and the government deciding things for a whole nation isn't exactly what you see at the person-to-person level and that's one of the things that kind of like it amazed me how she could be from a totally polar opposite upbringing especially her parents and she and i can connect and have that conversation and realize if you just sit down and look at the people that are around you in your local area, in your local friend groups, and realize there's a lot more we have in common than divides us. And I think that's one of the big takeaways I took from that particular interaction with her. That's the beauty of traveling. You get to see viewpoints that are not necessarily accepted over here. But then again, it doesn't have to be communism because there are many different ways that people think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just because they're different does not mean that any one of them is inferior. Mm -hmm. Except, I'm just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> except <laughs> except lightning fans uh well we can agree on that actually exactly mm-hmm. so congrats on your back-to-back cups i still don't like y'all yeah my little brother's a lightning fan he's a traitor wait was he born here in florida yeah. okay i guess he has a bit of a past but wait a minute he should be raised to be a bruins fan he should and we tried believe me we tried does he hate marshawn he does yes hates interesting mm-hmm. anybody that's a bruin he hates but it's weird because he's from the generation like you and i can sit down and watch a full hockey game and and enjoy it. He can't. He's from that generation where he needs to have three different things going. He won't watch a hockey game. He'll watch the four-minute highlight video afterwards and get all the information he needs. He'll probably be texting during the entire game. He'll be gaming. He'll be Snapchatting. He'll be Minecrafting on the side or something. Really? Like on his phone, on a tablet. Nice. And then he'll watch the highlights afterwards, and he'll know 90% of what you and I would get from watching the full game, which is enough to have a conversation about it. So, I don't know. The art of watching a full game may be in danger as that generation gets older and becomes the primary audience and becomes more distracted mm-hmm. yeah it seems like everybody now wants to make tiktoks of them at the game saying oh look at me at the game but then they don't actually watch the actual movement and everything mm-hmm. when was your first hockey game oh wow i think my, my first hockey game was in jacksonville it was called the jacksonville barracudas it was an echl team wait they're now the Icemen, right ah i actually have no clue they don't play there anymore. They moved. So oh, interesting. Okay. They moved and there was no hockey team. And now I think there is a hockey team. Ooh, sorry. I'm just going to look it up real quick. We'll continue. And now there is a hockey team there, I believe, called the Icemen. So it might have been a different franchise that moved in. But I remember that being so fun because my parents raised us with ice hockey. Both of them are from Massachusetts. They grew up playing hockey. My whole extended family wait, is Wait, your mom there. too? Oh, yeah. That's she, sick. She does a lot of uh, refereeing now, actually. I think she's like a level three or level four now. I used to be level one, so good for her but yes um it is the jacksonville ice men yep i think some of my fondest memories with my parents was when i was in high school 
I would play on their adult league team. They were short on players, so me as a 14-year-old, I would just jump in with them and play. And it was cool because we had the Mabry line. And my dad was huge. <laughs> my dad's six foot two, And I was fast. I had, a, I had a lot of energy at the time. Were you a winger? I was. I was the right winger. My dad was the center. My mom was the other winger. No way. So, and well, let me guess. Your other two siblings were the defensemen, and you had one more that was a goalie? Uh, it would be nice if we had a sixth and there, and there was a goalie. I, <laughs> sometimes I did play goalie, actually. I'm like, here. Uh, playing goalie's fun. Dude, I, I miss playing goalie. I used to play back in the day. Oh, yeah. Didn't you play roller? I played ice, actually. Oh, wow. See, that's I think that's better. Oh, 100%. Roller. 1,000%. I think you just torch your knees way easier as a goalie in roller hockey. Well, there's not as much slide ability, mm-hmm. too. Actually, when I was the goalie for the ZBT floor hockey, it was nothing like what I was used to because I would go down on my knees, but I'd have no mass to oh. cover the puck. And so, like, they would be able to, like, take it around, and I wasn't able to, like, kick my leg out in order to make the save. So it was painful. But continue. So you were a right wing with your dad and your mom. Yeah. And very commonly, uh, the puck would be in the corner, in the offensive zone. I'd be the one that would rush in to get it. So um, you chase after the dog? I dump. would chase the puck. I would pass it to my dad, who would typically be, like, double-covered because— he has a good shot. And what he would do very often, it would be the no-look pass back to my mom, who was always back door and wide open and would score. So nice. she got all the goals and it was just so fun. Hey, but assists are important. Oh, yeah. Important. Not Absolutely. Th- important. Important. Assists are important. Got to get those apples. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all those uh, bread baskets in a row. So you obviously grew up a Bruins fan. Who's your favorite player growing up? Patrice Bergeron. No okay. question. Tim Thomas was great. Char's great. There's a lot of great players, but the day Bergeron retires as a Bruin, which he will retire as a Bruin, I will shed many tears. Fair enough. I mean, that guy's been in the league as long as you know, I believe we have been watching hockey. I mean, we are the Crosby Ovechkin era, whereas mm-hmm. kids now today's are the McDavid and the mm-hmm. and the Matthews. Yes. I mean, they're great too. And oh, Connor McDavid's he's another level. Just watching him torch the entire five-man roster of opponent teams, you have no words half the time. I don't even have a conclusive statement to what I just started. I, I don't know how, how to... Yeah, there's a YouTube channel that I watch very frequently. Sportsnet's the actual YouTube channel, but there's a guy uh, uh, called Steve Dangle, and he does a segment called Steve's Dang It's and Steve's uh, Hat Picks, and it's hilarious, uh, the stuff that he points out. Uh, so any hockey fans out there, go check it out. It's it's a high-quality YouTube channel. Well, I'm going to have to check it out now as well because mm-hmm. I've been watching hockey since 2006, so I feel you with that whole thing. Actually, I wasn't much of a sports guy growing up, but my dad took me to a Panthers versus Devils game in 2006. I think we lost that game 3-2, to two, but I just remember I loved going to it, and then eventually my dad... I was like, hey, do you want to start playing? And so I was like, I don't know, but sounds cool. And then I remember watching Thomas Bokun at the time, and I immediately was like, I want to be him. And yeah, yeah that started my hockey journey. That's cool. It's good that you had a parent that was like, that said, hey, like, this is cool. Do you want to do this? And then yeah. supported you doing that. I think that's just so huge. Oh, actually, my dad was like your parents. Well, he's from New York, but he grew up a Rangers fan. My dad started getting into hockey coaching because of me and my stepbrother. So nice. And it always worked out because he was the coach. My stepbrother was a forward and I was the goalie. So. Nice. There are a lot of things that you can teach as a parent. Looking back, I realize this now, but when you're playing like young hockey, squirts hockey and stuff, and you're learning what teamwork is, hard work, like, there are so many like life lessons you can learn through just any kind of contact sport, any kind of competitive team-based activity like that. And uh, it's, there's a lot. I really 
like that looking back. And that's what I'm going to raise my kids to do as well. Oh, my kids are totally getting into hockey, but mm-hmm. I was just having this talk with my aunt and she said that it's not because of the chances of your kids going into professional sports. It's the overall life lessons about teamwork, camaraderie, how to shake off losses and defeats to come back stronger for the next one. I mean, if you think about it, it kind of gets you ready for adult life too. Yeah. Exactly what you're dealing with on a sports team is what you have to deal with your coworkers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh my goodness. There's so many things that go in parallel with sports and life and your aunt's very wise. That's very true. What's one important lesson that you've learned from hockey? Treat your triumphs and disasters just the same. My dad gave me a poem one day. It's called If by Rudyard Kipling. And it's a great poem. And one of the lines that my dad kind of mentioned with hockey sometimes like you've been in those games where it's just like seven to one and you're just getting railroaded and you still have a whole period left to go in the game and you just want to leave you're just like i'm out of here but then you've also been in the games where you're the one scoring seven points and then you have a breakaway and there's an empty net and instead of just slap shotting it in and getting another goal eight to one it goes high and out of play uh uh-huh and it's like oh sorry oops but there's a lot Uh, to be said about conducting yourself with the same kind of attitude when you're winning and when you're losing because it's not always going to be wins and it's not always going to be losses so but you have to finish you do you have to finish strong you gotta work hard for your team and the people around you because i don't buy into the idea of you're going through life alone and some people do have to endure life alone and it's really unfortunate but a lot of people that have success that make it places uh they've had people in their corner and that have supported them and this applies to any aspect of life, any industry you're going into, there are people that have helped put you to where you are. So I think that aspect's important to recognize and see how important it is to see the things that sports bring out that you can apply to day-to-day life as you grow up and grow into adulthood. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because unfortunately he passed away when I was graduating high school, but one of my favorite people ever. He was one of my hockey coaches. His name was Joe Oganowski. I lived in Boynton Beach, but he lived in Fort St. Pierce. And so that was like an hour, an hour and a half away. But he still made the drive every single weekend because he loved the game of hockey. Hockey was literally his passion in life and what kept him going. And one of the most important lessons that he gave to me was whenever we'd score a goal, he'd always go, one gets you two. So it kind of is building up on the momentum that if once you've created it to just go full at it because then that's when you create the avalanche that is your success. I like that. One creates two. I can feel it. Like as a player, I I can just see what getting that first one would feel like to a team that already feels defeated or feels like the odds are against you. Uh, They've got all the good players or our players are tired. Whatever situation you might be in. That's good. I like that one. Kind of sounds like when my Panthers beat the Habs and because... Ironically, last year they were in the Stanley Cup Finals, and now they're at the bottom of the league. I'm very happy to see that. <laughs> well, I know you yeah, are. <laughs> oh, you know, you know how I feel about the Habs. Fair yeah. enough. Although, what was your opinion of Patrick Waugh growing up? I liked the guy because he was such a character, and not like a character like you know the comedy show character. I mean, he. Well, if anything, he had a very hot temper. Yes, and I, as a young kid, I appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it was fun seeing a goalie just not be a goalie and just be a. Tasmanian devil on skates. And that's what I saw him as. I love that description. Yeah. (laughs) He was nuts. And there's a reason why he was the best up until Brodeur. When you went to that game with your dad, uh, the uh, Panthers-Devils game, was Brodeur in net? I would assume so, yeah. I think that that was right when he was in his prime. Yeah, that would have been like right in the middle of his career. Freshman year reading during 
what was a reading hour right before class actually started. I actually read his autobiography because I was thinking, well, if I want to become a better goalie, why not read up from the guy who's the best? Yeah. And which is actually a reason why I started drinking Sprite in between periods is because he said that in between periods, he would drink a bottle of Sprite to give him a boost of energy. Interesting. I'd never knew that. I know, right? It's funny what happens when you read. Yeah. Wow. I need to read. I used to read so much before school and did you ever, I gotta get back to it. Did sure. you ever read anything like by Bobby Orr, or like Jerry Cheevers or someone like that? I have a bunch of books by Bobby Orr, but I've never actually cracked them open. When I choose my books, I like to just escape and do like the mystery thrillers instead of the biographies. But I need to, I need to do that actually. Bobby Orr's story is amazing. I mean, I believe he is the greatest defenseman of all time. I agree with that, but I'm biased. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, my opinion is not very bad. He's 100% one of the top three, I would even say. But mm-hmm. I just, you know, there's a lot of talks about who else is a really good defenseman that we can think of that isn't Bobby Orr. Because when everyone thinks of defenseman, they think Bobby Orr. Are we talking like old school or like all time type of deal? Maybe just all time. I really have to think about it. Everybody hates this guy. I hate this guy. But Chris Pronger has been mentioned. Fair enough. In I, that tough era of the early 2000s, late 90s hockey mm-hmm. before refs called everything. Oh, that's man. one. That's actually one thing that I forgot what you said earlier, but it brought up the whole fact that fighting is kind of dying in today's game. Yeah, it is. It's sad. Because the players are an investment on behalf of the NHL. They want to protect their investments and fighting does not protect anything for them. It's just a quick thrill for the fans. So I get why they're trying to tap down on it. It's so sad. I'm really afraid our kids are going to grow up in an era where there are no fights anymore in hockey. Just imagine when they take out, if they ever take out checking. Oh my gosh. I don't want to think about that. It's almost like changing open field tackles in football to two-hand touch. Like, right? once you're beyond five yards of the line of scrimmage, it's two-hand touch. No more tackles. Like, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, checking is an integral part of the game. You don't have to send people through the glass every time. No. When they do review the really hairy plays where they launch themselves off the ice, the shoulder hits them straight in the jaw, the player just is down, down and out. I get why they need to clamp down on those and dissuade those kinds of hits. So it makes sense. I don't want to see my favorite player get knocked out for the whole season because of a cheap shot. But when you see plays, like I forget who this was, but there was a play... You don't see hip checks very often anymore. I was just about to say, a well-executed hip oh check gosh. is one of the best things you can watch in it's hockey. It's so satisfying. But they almost call those automatically nowadays because they're like, oh, tripping. What do you mean tripping? He That's hit his hip with his hip. Correct. It's like a fundamental part of hockey. And I think what really gets the rest attention is the aftermath of a well-executed hip check because you could send people flying. You could. You could knock the wind right out of their lungs. And sorry, it looks bad, but they'll be fine. That's the game. Hockey players take... Take out their teeth mid-game and then go and play their shift five seconds later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, a, there's so many famous clips that just popped into my head when you mentioned that. Like the Steven Stamkos broken uh, nose play <laughs> from, well, oh my gosh. Was it Corey Perry that actually fought him? Corey Perry did. What a nasty player Corey Perry is. I mean, he's so he's so skilled. Oh, I could talk about these players so often. I remember when he was on the Ducks. Yeah. You hate to see a player with that kind of attitude just have so much talent and skill to survive that long in such a high-level league like the NHL because a team needs him. And then he just goes and beats a, oh, man. A jerk. Yeah. <laughs> a goon. A goon, yes. Great movie, by the way. You seen Goon? I've only seen little snippets of it. Oof, it's a classic. They need more hockey movies. They do. They really do. There's a, I forget the name of the movie, uh, Mystery Alaska, I yes. think is the name of it. That's a great one. One of my favorites. Oh, Miracle? Of course. That is my favorite. Speaking of capitalism versus communism. That, I think that is so telling, because that movie was made, I think, in 2003 or something like that. Yeah, actually, it's funny, because right after that movie, I played with a broom and a ball, pretending I was a hockey 
hockey player. Yeah. And then little did I know a few years later, it's like I'd be playing the actual thing. Having a stick and a puck feels a lot cooler than a broom and a beach ball. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but then again, that's when I was living in Virginia. I didn't get into hockey until I came to Florida, actually. So I was not going to be a Caps fan. Good I, for you. Which, by the way, are you team Ovi or Crosby? I have to go with Ovi. Same. It's not that I hate Crosby. I just don't like his face. I, <laughs> so I'm going with some, Ovi. Some, but on a serious note, the reason why I am in the Ovi camp over the Crosby camp is because look at all the people Crosby had around him. And look at the goalie that he had. Flurry. Not, nothing against Holtby or anything like that, but before Holtby, the Caps didn't have anybody. Yeah. It was only Ovi, Backstrom, mm-hmm. and Alexander Semen. Yeah, that's right. And Ovi's had a good handful of good players. Oshie being on the team now is huge for him, but that man could have a twig off of a tree from a hurricane and still slap shot it in from that <laughs> left hash. I'm serious. Especially and, if it's a one-timer. Yeah, and that will never get old. Watching just a power play of the Caps, like, I, I'll just stop what I'm doing and I'll just watch that whole two-minute or less session. I still yeah. get chills from the goal. From what? The goal. Remember? The, oh, the one where he's back. The, the where old he, one with the old OG Capitals yeah. uniforms. That's yeah. right, with the eagle striking down. He's on his mm-hmm. back and he somehow scoops the puck in. I don't know. As I look at that clip as a goalie, I'm like, why would you come out that? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I understand why you would come out that mm-hmm. far, but then the goal slipped right past your right foot, so... I wonder if that was his rookie year. I think so, too, actually. It was early 2000s. I think our dads grew up on, like, the Marc Messier, Mariel Muse, yeah. and Yager in his early years. Yeah. Did you ever see Yager play when he played for the Panthers? I think I went to a couple games where he was on the Panthers, but mm-hmm. when I heard that he was coming here, I was super ecstatic. I mean, I didn't know if he had anything left in the tank, which, surprisingly, he still does. Yeah. A guy like that, you just think, like, what, what, what's he taking? Like, he's got to have some kind of, like, magic bones or something. To... <laughs> right. Or there's got to be something with the Czech water that allowed mm-hmm. him. Oh, my favorite is when he was on the Bruins and they asked everybody their favorite players. And before him, David Krejci, a fellow Czech, was like, favorite player growing up was Jaromir Jagr. And then Jaromir Jagr goes, hi, I'm Jaromir Jagr from Kladno, Czech Republic. And my favorite player growing up was Jaromir Jagr. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually remember that picture and it was on TFM and it says, being your own favorite player growing up, TFM. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best part about the Yager era, and people probably still do it because he's just that famous, but... Mullets? Yeah, the mullets and the traveling Yagers. Have you heard of the, that yes, group? Yes, I have. Oh my gosh, there's like like 12 of them or 15 of them or something. All the teams that he's ever been on, and it's uh, amazing the commitment those guys go through. Because I think they travel to like each of the games, and like it's a really exclusive group to be in, actually. Interesting. I guess you, you have to learn like a little check or something like that. I, I bet so. I wouldn't be shocked. And obviously one of the better teams during that era of Ovi and Crosby going at each other in their primes was the Bruins, actually. In fact, I remember when the Bruins won the cup in, I believe, 2012 or 2013 because one of the owners of the Bruins had a house in Wellington, which is about 15 minutes where I'm from, and they brought the Stanley Cup to my local oh, rink. Wow. And so it was just really cool to see in the flesh. Yeah. You don't forget that. How old were you when that happened? It was 2011. And I, I was a sophomore. In yeah, high I was about school. to say a sophomore in high school, second yeah. year. That must have been amazing to see in person. Oh, it was so cool. Like, I didn't know what picture to take of it because I'm like, how do I fully encapsulate the fact that this real Stanley Cup is here in front mm-hmm. of me? at a local ice rink in Lake Worth, Florida. And what camera did you even have on your person at that time? My like, Blackberry phone. Oh, yeah, get out of here. Good luck. 
I bet it's like three blocks, and you can't even. There's like a, a silver block and a gray block, and that's it. Yeah, and you have to pay for that extra pixel as well. So this is really random. But what was your worst injury in hockey that you ever sustained? Ooh, my worst injury in hockey that I sustained was actually I almost broke my jaw doing this. I was actually on a breakaway, and I was skating just straight to the net. Uh, since I'm a right-handed shot. I was going to fake short side and shoot far side. This other guy who was playing against me, this is house league hockey, so we all know each other really well. And he's wicked fast, and he was... Uh, That's that Bostonian. He had quite the temper. He was the kind of guy that would, like, we allowed checking, so technically it's not against the rules to check players, but he would go out of his way and check players that were half a size. You know, that kind of, like, frown upon type stuff. But great player, really fun to play against, but... In his slight moment of rage, he skated around the net on the right side. And as I was shooting it, which I scored, by the way, it was nice. Nice. Up in the top, roofed it. He came around. And as I was in this motion of putting it up there, like I was in the perfect position where his shoulder when just nailed me right in the side of the jaw. Oh, no. And I was seeing stars. It was like as close to getting knocked out cold as you could get without actually like losing consciousness or getting knocked out. And I was done for the rest of the game for sure. But <laughs> Were you scared? Uh, I, was, I wasn't scared. I just couldn't feel my jaw. And that's what bothered me the most. The only thing I cared about was like, did it go in? Did it go in? Because I didn't <laughs> see it go in. And my dad turning into, you know, doctor mode was like, oh my God, like, let me try to move your jaw. And I'm like, did I score? And he wouldn't answer me for the longest time and it frustrated me. But I bet it must have been really great when he was like, oh yeah, you scored. Yeah. But I'm surprised your dad didn't turn into dad mode and like beat the crap out of the other guy. It's funny you mentioned that. He would never do that. He's a very cool-minded individual and I admire that about him. From and the few minutes that I actually met him that one time that they all visited you at Nython, I got those impressions from your parents. There's a really famous family story about the only hockey fight I've ever been in where my dad kept his cool and I did not. This was during the era where I was playing with my both my parents as a 14, 15-year-old kid in their adult league. I was grandfathered in because I was fast enough to keep up and whatnot, like I mentioned before. There was a guy, he was the same height as my mom. Uh, my mom's 5'2", and uh, he was also kind of like 5'2". And there was a play where my mom had the puck and he was defending her. She deked him, like juked him out, and he <laughs> fell. And she went back to her right and got a really nice shot on net. I wish he would have scored. It would have been so sweet, but she didn't. And I don't know where this came from, but it, it just sent rage through the guy. He just couldn't accept that he just got schooled so bad by my mom. But he got up. And he just popped her in the face and started going after her. And me, being two feet away, wasn't even a thought. I just, my mind went blank and my gloves were gone. Before I knew it, I was on top of him and my teammates were grabbing me by the shoulders and yanking me off. And there was a whole commotion going on. And my dad, he was on the bench and he claims he didn't see it. I don't know how he didn't see it, but... Of course he didn't see it. Wink. Wink, wink. Maybe it was a good thing that the 14-year-old kid saw it who was a twig and not the 6'2 dad who I think would have taken things a little bit differently. But I also don't think my dad would have lost his cool and actually got in a fight with the dude because being a foot taller than him, I think he may have killed him if he punched hard enough. Oh, easily. And also, you know, you're 14 at that age. Oh. We just want to prove ourselves as men. And so therefore, one of those is to get aggressive. And so, yeah. well, yes, it wasn't exactly the right course of action. You know what? It's okay. I like to think that. That's what I like to tell myself at night, that I don't fight, but that one was okay. You were being a good boy and defending your mom. The funny part about the story is as the commotion's going on, my mom, like, of course, the refs are getting in because there are other guys on the team that are bigger than my dad, and their bench cleared, our bench cleared, and they're nice. all, and the two refs that are there are like losing their minds, just holding all the big dudes away. <laughs> and then my mom skates around, like, in between everyone, as the guy's like sitting up because I've finally pulled away from him, and she just like grabs her gloves and then just pops him in the jaw and then just skates away. <laughs> 
And at the end of the game, we all know each other really well. You know how it is with hockey in Florida. It's a small community. Everybody kind of gets to know each other really well, really quick. Mm-hmm. So the ref knows our family. They, they obviously know the dynamic. And the ref came in afterwards, and he's been refing for like 30 years, talking to me and my dad uh, while we're getting undressed. And he said, I've been refing for 30 years, but I've never heard anyone say, don't touch my ma, and then just start throwing haymakers at a guy. I've never heard that before. That's the story. Well, you're a first, so you should definitely take that with a sense of pride. I'm getting chills just reliving that whole thing, man. Ugh. And you know what? You're defending your mom. So if, and if anything, you, you did the right thing. And actually, <laughs> I one time had an injury that took me out of a practice. I took a slap shot to the nuts from a junior level player. Oh my God. It was right after I made my a couple laps around the ice, you know, just to get my legs warmed yeah. up. Immediately as I stepped in a net, he just put a slap shot, hits me right in the middle of the cup, done. Dude, even when you have, like, the best cup that you could buy, it's just still... It only stops the initial, like, force yeah. because then once it's once it's the shockwave, that's what hurts you. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't move. Literally, my dad and another coach had to, like, carry me. I had to be on each one of their shoulders, and they were just dragging me by my goalie pads. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. That's awful. I'm so sorry to hear that. Eh, you know what? It's all right. Thank God I was wearing my cup that day, and then I was thinking, wait, people don't wear their cups? I don't understand how. If you're a player and you don't wear it, it's still unforgivable. But if you're a goalie and you don't wear it, you're just asking to not have kids right just to think the cup came before the helmet yeah so goalie, actually that's true so yeah. if anything we're of a special breed even for goalies the cup came before the helmet and i believe it was jerry cheevers that was actually one of the first goalies to ever put on a mask i know he had one of the more more famous ones because he had all the scars and yeah everything. being a goalie back in those days when you're about to take a slap shot full on and you're in your goalie stance and it's just your face out in the open I don't know how you feel, but like even when when I take my helmet off or whatever, like and I'm skating on the ice or when I'm at public skate or whatever, it feels weird because I feel like my head's exposed, my face is exposed, right? And it's scary. So willingly taking those shots at the professional level, the ball's on those guys. True, but then also they thought cocaine and ketchup was medicine. So it was a much different era, a time where men were men. Oh my gosh! And cocaine was in coke. That's right, (laughs) which is why they got its name. Yeah, there it is. Excellent. I can talk hockey all day, dude. All day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but unfortunately, we must stop because we are in my favorite part of any big DK Energy episode, which is the bonus question round. Yes, these are 10 questions that you do not know about. However, they are all appropriate, and the Navy will still accept you after answering them. I hope so. <laughs> so that being said, are you ready, Mr. Mayberry? I'm ready. Let's hit it. Perfect. All right. So, question number one. I ask this for all my hockey fans that come on here. Hockey aliens have invaded Earth, and you are tasked with putting an all-time roster to save the planet. Who is your starting six? Oh, my gosh. And you can pull players from any time period, too. Okay, that's... Okay. I'm a little biased, but I would put Bergeron at center. I would have Malkin and Ovechkin up there. Damn, that's a super line for our era. Yeah. On defense, it would be Bobby Orr on the right, and it would be Victor Hedman on the left. For goalie, I'm going to go with uh, Henrik Lundqvist. When the Rangers lost to the Kings in that Stanley Cup final, my heart sank. I'm like, Hank deserved one, dude. Oh, he did. I'm so sorry for a guy like that. He did so much for the game and class act, too, on and off the ice. Yeah. He was actually one of my favorite goalies to watch as a goalie growing up. Mm-hmm. Also, really random fact, but um, Marc-Andre Fleury and I have the same birthday. Really? November 28th. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Oh, and who's the coach? Brendan Moore. I'd pick him. He's a firecracker. He, he'll get the team going. If I'm correct, Rod Brendan Moore actually captained the team years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Anyway, number two, if you could live in any sitcom universe, what would it be and what is your role? Does Scrubs count as a sitcom? Yeah. I would do Scrubs because... That show was just so genius and on point. I would be the janitor's assistant. <laughs> I would help him make the doctor's lives a living hell. 
I respect it. Yeah. Number three, what is one specific traveling experience that you want to do in your life? I'd like to go to Greece and sit near the coastline of the Mediterranean and have a real Greek meal and bask in the beauty of what Greece has to offer. That sounds really nice right now. Mm -hmm. I could use a vacation. Number four, you have saved the life of Lollapalooza's CEO and therefore gives you a concert of five of your favorite artists to watch. Who would you watch? Okay, I would watch Elenium for sure. I'm one of those guys. I'm not shameful for it. I love Ariana Grande. Her okay. music is on point. I would watch Miranda Lambert play. Okay. Gotta have some country in there. Fleetwood Mac and okay. Kenny Chesney. I don't think the five of them would ever get together in any planet or in any universe. You know what? The answer you just gave is plenty enough of a universe for which they can all exist. All right. Number five, name a far-fetched goal of your life. Here's a far-fetched goal of mine. I started writing a book before I went to med school and then abruptly stopped. I'm like two-thirds of the way through it, and I keep telling myself, oh, yeah, I'll do it. I'll get around to it. And now I'm officially telling myself it's a far-fetched goal because if I keep up at this pace, it will be a far-fetched goal to finish this book. So now I'm challenging myself. That's the far-fetched goal I'd like to accomplish. Awesome. Complete. What's uh, the book about? It's a murder mystery uh, mm -hmm. based in a small town where in the beginning uh, there's a verdict that happens and a young kid goes away for a murder. But you find out later on that the story isn't exactly what everybody believes it is and there's a lot more to it than just one simple uh, death and all these 18 year old high school age kids figure it out together and realize there's a lot more corruption in their small town than they had initially understood or realized so yeah that's the short end of it it sounds actually like something i'd like to watch as a movie eventually so i don't know keep at it you might have something there yeah number six give me two truths and a lie okay i've met luke bryan personally and shaken his hand i have skated on the ice with Le Cavalier, and I have a tattoo on my left thigh. I'm gonna say the tattoo is the lie. That is the lie. Oh, uh, hold on a second. That was two lies and a truth. I apologize. No, you're good. Whoops. <laughs> you're good, but uh, what was the truth? Uh, skating on the ice with Le Cavalier. I was about to say that. I was like, that's probably the one that is gonna be the truth, mm -hmm. but uh, how did you manage to do that? It was a freak thing. I wasn't fully dressed. I just got on the ice for a little bit. It was really like my little brother and his goalie that were, uh, they were just practicing on the ice and one sheet over in Tampa, Le Cavalier was just practicing because he was out with an injury. So he wasn't traveling with the team. So he was just sticking around in Tampa, saw my brother's goalie who was just getting shot on by my brother. And he was like, hey, do you want some shots? And the goalie was like, yeah, sure. Oh my God. So since I was there, I'd like to say that I skated with him, but really it was just him shooting at my brother's goalie. Bro, you yeah. were there in the same presence with him. Mm -hmm. I count it. Yeah. yeah that That's cool. so cool though. He was so nice too. Like it's amazing how down to earth people can be especially uh, hockey players yeah it's, even though when you're standing next to them they are massive true it's like hockey players are really bland as like mm -hmm. individuals but you realize that they're very nice people and they're yeah. very wholesome mm -hmm. it's amazing we're gonna have to start describing what our era of hockey was like pretty soon yeah so. i remember when people used to fight wait people used to fight back in hockey you you're actually that. took gloves off and took helmets off and you're, punched people you're that old oh my gosh shut up kid Anyway, so for those of you who don't know, Eddie also here is a great musician. So for number seven, you're in charge of creating a super group for music. Assume it's a five-person band with two guitarists, a bassist, drummer, and vocalist. And if you can think of a good keyboardist, I'll allow the extra. Okay. Who do you pick? For vocalist, I'm going to go with Haley Williams. 
I think she has a fantastic voice, and it's so unique. It, there's no mistaking it. She's the lead singer for Paramore. Paramore, that's why. Yeah. For the bass guitarist, I'm going to go with the bass guitarist for uh, Fleetwood Mac. I'm blanking on the name. I apologize out there. I apologize. But uh, they play mean bass. For guitar, probably Jimi Hendrix. So that's um, one of the two, because you have another one as well? Ooh, my other guitarist is going to be uh, Eric Church, actually. A little bit out there, but the thing that's amazing about Eric Church is he writes his own stuff, and it's. Uh, it, I think it takes a lot of skill to be a guitarist that does that. A lot of guitarists do that. I'm not saying the other ones don't, but watching his stuff is really, really amazing. And, and then, then the drummer? For drums, the drummer. Uh, let me do the drummer from ACDC. That one will probably rock it really well. I don't know his name. I don't know his but name. But he's really great as well. No. Yeah. Right. I think that's what I'd go with. Yeah. That's a good mix of old and new, mm-hmm. especially with Jimi Hendrix and like Haley Williams for Paramore. Yeah. I wonder how that would go. That'd be pretty amazing to see that. Number eight. What is one hockey game you haven't been to that you want to go to and who are playing? I have never been to a Bruins-Canadians hockey game. And I would love to go. Obviously, I'd love to go to the one in TD Garden. But even going to a, a Bruins-Habs game in Montreal would be amazing. So You'd probably have to watch your back, though, because they take their Ooh. hockey really seriously. Oh, up there. yeah. <laughs> I'd be too scared to go to Montreal with just me and one other person. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Maybe I need to bring, like, four or five bodyguards with me. If you hire me, I also took French for the reason of one day going to Canada. So. Yeah, you'll uh, cool the waters should yeah. this happen. So, allons-y. Number nine, you're at a bar getting drinks with three influential figures in your life that are not friends or family. Who are they, and what are y'all drinking? So, I'm going to start with a amazing person. She was my director at the summer camp I used to work at. Her name is Mo Eaton. And she taught me really everything that I learned about what it was like being in the realm of like being a leader around kids and being a good role model and what ought to be expected of me from myself and from my superiors when it comes to running a safe, efficient, and fun environment for kids. Oh, well, so that definitely showed cool. during Nighton. So mm-hmm. what was her name? Mo Eaton? Mo Eaton is her name. She's based out of Jacksonville. She's a YMCA Flores First Coast. She's done some amazing things. She has inspired hundreds of more people, not just me. And it's a... Uh, I think a lot of people can attest to her lasting influence. She sounds awesome, mm-hmm. but also Mo Eaton sounds like a really fat rapper. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think she would like. I, I think I've witnessed her try to rap at one point during uh, one of the camp activities. So I wonder. I, I bet she'd like to hear that. Yeah, Mo Eaton. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so we have Miss Eaton. Second would probably. Uh, let me see here. Oh man. This is kind of tough. That's the thing. My questions are made to make you think. This is a thinker. Yeah. So my time as a third-year med student has, I've only been doing it for six months so far, and I've met a bunch of brilliant physicians that are just really intelligent. They know their stuff, and they've taken the time to teach me too. One influential physician, uh, her name is Dr. Ganycall. She works at Avon Health, and during my internal medicine rotation with her, she not only helped teach me how to manage patients and what pace I should be learning, but she also gave me a good exercise and asked me great questions at my level to help me learn at my pace and challenged me like the next day when it came to things that she told me the day before. And I learned a lot of stuff under her and uh, it was because of how busy she was and how much demand there was for her expertise and her time and her eyes. But she would then turn to me and take the opportunity to help me learn and teach me and challenge me to present patients. She was like, hey, so what's going on with that patient? What do you want to do? 
why do you want to order that CT scan? Why do you want to get that antibiotic? Like making me really think through why I was suggesting what I was suggesting for these patients, which is what is going to be demanded of me eventually when I'm the one that's running whatever patient case that I'm in front of. And I thought that was such a unique way of instruction. And it really kind of garnered my confidence and made me really want to learn more. So that'll be my number two person for sure. Those are always the best instructors. Mm -hmm. Number three is going to be a old next door neighbor of mine. Uh, his name's Pat Murphy. And he had three daughters and he uh, came over sometimes and he helped me shoot hoops in my front yard because he played ball back in the day and he loved college basketball. And I think like there was a part of him that kind of like, I don't know, maybe he wanted a son, maybe he didn't, I'm not sure. But <laughs> he and I connected a lot on basketball, like in middle school and stuff. And he would just shoot hoops with me and just like talk to me about stuff. And I'm very lucky. I had a dad growing up that did a great job being a dad and teaching me life lessons and whatnot. But Pat, he was a, a very kind individual and he's somebody I keep in touch with uh, every year or so. We talk about March Madness still a lot too. Nice. And he is one of the older male figures that I like to emulate myself off of, and I hope I can be half of uh, someday. Dude, you're obviously having a blast, and I'm so glad you're having a blast, but unfortunately, we're actually at the last question. This is the question that I ask everybody, because the question is the same, but the answer is always very. What is your best, most recent accomplishment? My best, most recent accomplishment? You know, I know we talked about it a lot, but what I'd like to go with is I'm going to qualify Ecamm Productions and the videos that I'm making on YouTube as a whole because in the timeline of my life, it is still relatively recent. It's a hobby of mine that I didn't realize until very recently. And eventually, I would love it to grow into something where my friends, their friends are sending me footage of their trips and I can make it into a highlight for them to remember forever. And I've done that a couple of times so far and seeing the reaction, like I talked about before, is just so rewarding. And it's also fun because getting into med school is so competitive and you're taught to just be one thing only. You are a machine. You ought to regurgitate information. You need to get these scores. So high pressure situations. And there's very little time or there's very little encouragement to follow the things that you're passionate about, follow the things that make you human. And I view this as an accomplishment, not because of like the amount of views or the amount of outreach I'm getting, but because I realize something that's important to me and I'm choosing to pursue it. I've chosen to make it a valuable thing in my life and follow that despite what societal norms say about what you ought to be doing. Grind for your job and you ought to be working for the next day. And in a society where it's almost like frowned upon to take time for yourself in certain situations. So I view it as an accomplishment because it's a way of testing my own balance and uh, keeping myself in check and making sure that I'm taking care of my mental health and staying on point with what's important to me. Because to demand yourself to behave like a machine, to demand yourself to just go, 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 and not acknowledge you, yourself, ends up in disaster, I feel like, regardless of what industry you're in. I think that applies to a lot of things. That would be what I would qualify because of the meaning behind it, not so much about the outreach it's had thus far. Yeah. I love that because mm -hmm. when I'm doing with this podcast even and with my own freelance photography or videography thing, it's kind of exactly what you're saying. We bring some happiness to some people and we want that to be our major life thing. Whether you picked up a camera just one minute or 10 years ago, the fact that you still have that love and 
you have that little spark that just makes your life more enjoyable. I think that it's great that you found this and I really hope that you continue with it. And with that being said, we are actually at the end of the episode. So we're just going to wrap some things up here. So first of all, I just want to say, Eddie, thank you so much for joining the show today and being the first recording of 2022, even though this is going to be viewed later mm-hmm. in the year. Thanks for having me. This was such a joy. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm honored. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're honored because, Eddie, you're such a stand-up guy. And hearing your motivation, the fact that you're building up a skill and are allowing yourself to enjoy the skills that you've garnered and to help build memories, which is one of the very few things that humans can do in order to preserve their legacy on this planet. And the fact that you truly, genuinely enjoy doing it so that others can feel that exact same feeling, it's very generous of you. And those are the reasons why I think you, Edward or Eddie Mayberry, have big DK energy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I love that. I oh. didn't expect that. That's cool. Of course. That's yeah. how, always how I wrap up my shows. Nice. That's why the show is called Big DK Energy. Wow. I'm honored to be considered and part of the fold of the Big DK, DK Energy family. You want to be on here if I didn't think so? Yeah. <laughs> so with that all being said, we're going to put uh, his personal and EKM Productions uh, social media links in the description below. Hit that like button, that subscribe button as well, and the bell notification so that every week uh, you won't miss an episode. And before we head off, is there anything else you'd like to promote or say, Eddie? Uh, I think uh, you've nailed it, actually. The uh, YouTube channel that I put all of my big videos up is just my personal name, Edward Mabry. But yeah, most of the stuff that you listed is great. All right, perfect. Well, with that all being said and done, I'm Danny K, or the DK and the Big DK Energy, and we are signing off.